Deep Production. Yes! Welcome back to Go Deep the Podcast, a member of Go Deep Productions, where we have an opinion like we have a clue. Thank you for coming back. And here's your host, John Nothing Doe. Oh, yes, another wonderful day. Awfully cold here in Canada. However, it's the complete opposite with the guest I have on today's show. And on today's show, we're going to get right to the point. And we have June Bellamy on the show. How are you? I'm great, John. How are you? I'm good. I mean, I'm cold. It's not uh, extremely warm here. We have to wear like coats and layers and fun business. But the way I understand it from our conversation before we went live, you're having the complete opposite problem. Yeah, heat waves, and then you add on to that, you know, we have power cuts here throughout the day, thanks to our, uh, unfortunately, uh, not so great government. So it's really sweltering here, and uh, we're, we're struggling. You know, I always say I prefer winter because then you can at least layer, you know, but if you're hot, you're just hot. Yeah, no, no kidding. So let's talk about that for a quick second. So you're saying there's a issue with the power company and like there's rolling blackouts. Has this always been an issue there in South Africa that you're aware of? No, it hasn't. And, uh, you know, I've lived here all my life. And if anybody out there is interested, curious to know more about it, all you have to do is Google South Africa and state capture. We recently came out of a, a commission. It was held by Judge Zondo. And he found that, you know, there's these various entities, various persons that are corrupt with throughout the government's or the state-owned enterprises. And of them, it is our ESCOM, who provides our electricity, our rail service, our SAA, our airlines. So we've had, unfortunately, many, many years now, and I, I think, you know, because I was out the country for, for a while, you know, traveling and working, um, but back to 20, you know, you know, 2005, you know, 2014, and all the all those years, um, it's only now just come out how many billions and if not trillions this country has lost, and we're never going to recoup it. Oh wow! So, yeah, whistleblowing in South Africa because the other the other thing is um, whistleblowing in South Africa. We we unfortunately. Um, we get killed here. You know, we get assassinated here. Um, we're easy targets. A lot of our whistleblowers have sadly been been killed. And, uh, you know, our witness protection program um, is unfortunately has too many people in it, in my view. So, yeah, we, we were a struggling country, you know, especially after our years of apartheid, you know, and we have the amazing legacy of, you know, Madiba, Nelson Mandela, and the Archbishop Tutu, and every, you know, the apartheid era, we, we came through it, and this is not how the country was supposed to land up. We were supposed to be much stronger than this, and a thriving African state, and we're, we're just nowhere near that now. Sorry to hear that. That's uh, quite the statement to open up with. We're going to lighten it up just a little bit before we get right into the meat and potatoes here, June. Um, so what did you do before? I kind of understand you were saying that you like to travel and uh, do you, is there like photography involved with this travel? Like tell me a little bit about yourself, June. Yeah. So coming out of school, I actually studied architecture. Oh, wow. um, and then I 
I shifted into photography and the photography component was in the retail sector. So I was in, you know, doing a lot of sales, that type of thing. And then from there, I moved over, this was in 2000, to working on cruise ships. So in the photography department. So that's where I got to travel. So I've been blessed. I've been around the world a few times, as in, you know, touched the continent. Uh, oh. that constitute a world cruise, so to speak, on cruise ships. Came back and then I went uh, into another corporate who um, didn't catch on to the digital as fast as they should have when they actually designed the first digital camera, which we tested. But uh, they were still heavily invested in film. So came back into retail, still photography. Um, and then we had the 2008 crash. Landed back on cruise ships for a couple of years, came back and then landed up going to Samsung. And that was in their digital camera department because they brought out a really nice mirrorless system. Um, and I was doing training, um, customer service, training, all that type of thing with them. So I don't have any, all this time, you know, I'm self-taught, which I've always enjoyed, especially starting in a new place, often start at the bottom and then work your way up to the top yep. or wherever you go. But then you get, a, you, you get a full view of what's happening, you know, in the company and all that type of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's been fruitful. Um, and the, the traveling was amazing, you know, uh, absolutely amazing. So Samsung, they, they make wonderful products. They make wonderful cameras. Um, I've not really dabbled too much in the computers, but I remember um, when they mm. first dabbled into the cameras and they started getting uh, the selfie cameras, I used to call them, where you could tap the front and then all of a sudden there'd be a, an LED screen on the front of the camera so you could see to take pictures yeah. and stuff. Besides that, I'm going to have to say a lot of the stories that you're going to tell us, I have to say allegedly, but that doesn't mean it allegedly to you. That means that this is your truth and I'm here to convey that message. So June, I'm going to ask you. So where did things start going south? Because it sounds like everything was very fruitful and things were going in the right direction for you. Yeah, and they were. You know, when I started at Samsung, it was in 2013. I was there for five and a half years. Um, the first three and a half were in the camera de um, department, as I said. And then I moved over into the service division. Um, and, you know, I used to do some of the onboarding training and I drank the blue Kool-Aid. Um, I was very proud of the of, of, of the brand. Um, the the products are still good, but what, when I moved into the service division, that's when amongst the staff, you know, you keep you start hearing the same comments and the same uh, negativity that's that's going on around. So just to just to um, also, as you say, you you're going to say allegedly. Yep. When I do these interviews and. Um, when I'm speaking about my lived experience, I also say my evidence is in place. This is in the public's interest and I have freedom of speech um, because people always say to me, well, you know, why haven't they sued you for defamation? And it's because I have all of those three things in place. And that's also why I'm doing this and why I really appreciate when people like you reach out because Speaking out against one of my hashtags is big bully business, you know, against the big bully business like Samsung. And, of course, the attorneys and all the millions that they've got behind that is, is not something you, you wake up one day deciding to do because the space that I'm in now, financially decimated, my health is also destroyed. The mental space has been 
one of the biggest challenges and fights of my life. This should never happen, you know, because companies have got whistleblowing policies in place, and yet you still see across the globe whistleblowers are always being targeted, fired, you know, and the financial decimation is where everything else stems from. Yeah. So to get uh, let let let's get to um in you know in a very brief <laughs> what what happened. Yes. I I saw there were numerous breaches happening in the service division. So Samsung switched to a zero tolerance policy of, you know, um, no corruption, no unethical behavior, all that type of thing. You get trained every year in South Africa. Uh, funny enough, they don't put anything in writing, uh, mm. which is uh, very, very interesting. And I know some other countries, they do have it in writing, but not in South Africa. And, if you see something, say something. That's, you know, what it all always stems around. Yeah. Things, there were, like I say, numerous breaches. I made a disclosure. But now, what's important, you know, make the disclosure. But it's what happened afterwards. I think that is what took me by surprise. And just, I was talking to somebody else today who's a supporter of us. We had a four-hour conversation. And everybody keeps on telling me I must write the book because, People don't believe me when I tell them all the things that have happened. But let's uh, let me go back and be brief. Um, yeah, that'd be great. They didn't protect. Yeah, they didn't protect my identity. They leaked my identity to the director that I whistleblew against. This is the internal auditors. Then I, then the retaliation started straight away. You know, when when you mentioned earlier, you know, we mentioned bullies, that type of thing. I didn't have the languaging at the time. You know, you don't know what's going on. You don't know about gaslighting, mobbing. Um, all of these terms, are, you know, you're just in it and you're reaching out for assistance from the auditors, from, you know, HR, and nobody's doing anything to support you. But what was very interesting to me is, so my identity was leaked very quickly and I was still in that space for a year. So the mental damage, which is still unfolding now, is that, and I also didn't realize this, um, because it's a term that you, you know, use in, in, you know, for veterans in war, is that I have PTSD now. Yeah. And I can't go back into a corporate space because that's my, that's my battlefield. And then, you know, things get triggered there. But what's important to note here is that I also whistle blew using Samsung's so-called confidential hotline. You know, it's on their website. It's uh, SEC. Anybody can Google it. It's in the public domain. And because I did that, um, it actually gave me a little bit of extra protection. And one of the things that, you know, in a defense or, or you know, um, a case against a whistleblower, the first thing that attorneys and big business does is they turn around and they say, you are not a whistleblower. Um, actually, if you don't, you know, I can read out their response to me when I whistle blew anonymously. Yeah. So I set up a plume and I sent it off to them. And this was a few days before I whistle blew in person. And they were, South Africa, Samsung was copied on this. And verbatim, this is what it says, June 14th, 2017, dear whistleblower. So they use the term, they name it, they say it, they acknowledge it. Yeah. I am X person, the RHQ audit director. Your mail is probably accepted, and we are already on the investigation by your report. 
and then it goes on and says, for now, please send the email to, to them or the head of audit, which is in South Africa here, for confidential communication for this fraud case. So on the one hand, you've got a confidential hotline in Korea, at, you know, accepting it and calling you a whistleblower. And yet in South Africa, the legal defense here and all of the business chose to, you know, cover themselves and just say, oh, you know, a whistleblower, because that is the common route that they take. And they do it because they want to financially decimate you. Oh, wow. Yeah. But the thing is, is that, uh, like I say, they've contradicted themselves completely from the same auditing space. And this is what blows my mind, though. However, I do see now very clearly that the longer they can drag things out, the longer they can financially decimate you. Yeah. That's when people give up, they drop the cases and all the rest of it. But I, I'll tell you as well, you know, your listeners, if they want to have a, a look around, Samsung Whistleblower Living in the Sky, if you Google that, it's a, it's a short YouTube video, and Samsung apologizes to sick, sick workers. Now, those two cases happened in Korea, and the one carried on for 25 years. It only finished in 2020 at the beginning of COVID. So they've had one man speaking out against them for 25 years, and then another person, um, that case went on for 12 years, and that they settled out of court in 2018. My case is going on six and a half years. So... I have to thank social media because if you look at the history, all of those time frames are halving because Samsung can't hide behind social, you know, behind you know, no media coverage in, anymore. Yeah. Because we're talking about this, we're warning people, and it's being shared. What's amazing to me though is that they will still not admit their fault and not admit, you know, to to any kind of uh, punitive damages, considering that I'm now unemployable, whistleblowers often are, and destroyed myself and, uh, of course, some, you know, my extended family. Um, And they just carry on like uh, nothing's happening. But times are changing because we've had some really great um, Nestle. There was a Nestle case that recently came up, which was one, and Ernest & Young, EY. And both of those paid out. Nestle apologized and stated that they're not going to um, appeal the decision. Ernest and Young, they initially appealed and then they stopped because I think the reputational damage to companies nowadays who are not protecting their whistleblowers speaks volumes to the business itself. Yeah. And if you go and have a look at Samsung's president, he's just come out of jail. Um, and that's a, a long history of, you know, the predecessor also landing up in jail and then they simply get pardoned. But the rest of the world is not going to put up for it, put up with it. Wow. I, I, I didn't even know that the president of Samsung had been in jail, uh, let alone some of the stuff that you've just uh, you've just told me about here, June. So a lot of this is surprising news to me, and I don't know if it would be surprising listener to my users here in uh Predominantly North America, but there's a lot of them here, and I, I, I think there would be a lot of value. So what exactly happened to you? Did you get sick? Did you get hurt? What what happened to you, June? Uh, no. So, um, you know, the other cases, that one case of 12 years, their staff were, weren't being provided with PPE equipment, and their staff did die, and they uh, some of them were getting cancer, and the, the, the women that were pregnant were losing their pregnancies. So that did happen there in Korea. 
Um, for the other gentleman, he was simply trying to start the union, and uh, it took him that long to get, uh, you know, the union going. With myself, it was it was whistleblowing uh, um, in breach of these company policies, and I say numerous because there were numerous things that were, were that were going and being done, you know, wrongdoing in the service division. And so nothing nothing physically happened to me. Knock on wood, not yet. Um, but I may as well say it here because you never know. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, my security, my gate was jammed, uh, and I say it was physically jammed. Somebody put a knife in one of the tracks to cause the jam. And then what they do is they sit and they, they watch you. And when I drove off the one day, somebody was videoing me. Oh, and wow. then they will take that video and pass it on to the person that's actually going to, you know, do the hit. So I'm lucky in a sense because I've been trained. In 2018, I arranged some training uh, 2019 with, with myself and other whistleblowers. So I'm very vigilant. So knock on wood, nothing like that has happened to me. But in the Samsung space, though, what we call the, the toxic tactics, and this is a book by Jackie Garrick and Martina Buck. It was released um, in 2022 in December. It's been out a year. And I made uh, some contributions to that about the psychosocial effects of whistleblowing retaliation. So part of, you know, there's different whistleblowers in it, but it's specifically talking around the, the mental damage that it's doing to us because your, you know, your brain, uh, you know, stepped into a bit of neuroscience as well. Your neuroplasticity, our brains are changing, but the trauma is coming in, it's staying in. Um, I never had access to therapy or talk therapist. So I took a lot on board myself. And like I say, you just, you don't realize what it's doing to you mentally until after the fact. And, you know, um, when people say to you, well, you know, why, why didn't you, you say something sooner? It's because when you're in those moments, you don't realize what's going on and you don't have the terminology for it. So it's been um, an unraveling process of the mental damage that they've done. And, you know, I'm one of the strongest people I know uh, mentally. Uh, I was very sporting at school and that. But mentally, you know, I've, I've always stood up against bullies. But the damage that this has done has been a complete, a complete new chapter in my life and something that I had no inclination about how bad it can be. Um, but I also know that if I can give back to the community and educate, warn, share, warning form is what I always say, how you can better protect yourself, but also how you can start to see what's going on in the business. Because um, I'm sure people are seeing after COVID, you've got the COVID stress and, you you know, suicide rates are going up. There's bullying is, is being spoken about more in the, in, you know, in the arena, in the space of social media suicide, you know, from children in school. There's a lot that people can share from these experiences in the hope that they reach out for the different resources. And I must just quickly, if I can, Jennifer Fraser, Dr. Jennifer Fraser, she's Canadian. She's written a phenomenal book called The Bullied Brain. And it touches on all of this. And she she has a, you know, a, she's her following is, is growing quite a lot. But she was instrumental in me also understanding, you know, what's happening, what's going on you know, and also how can you try and recover from it and then, you know, help others. Wow. I didn't even know uh, Jennifer Frazier had wrote a book 
and little alone did I know the bully brain, but I definitely want to check that out now that you've name dropped it. It seems yeah. like something that would be very interesting. So you're working in this service department and things are going south. What happens after that? So you've you've called in, you've told them what's going on, you got the email, you're getting yeah. told that you're going to get protected in Korea, but in South Africa, they're coming after you. What happens now? Yeah, okay. So interestingly, I whistle blew on the 1st of June, 2017. I whistle blew on the confidential hotline on the 28th of May. So our legal, our judiciary changed in August of 2017. And what it basically says is that if you whistleblow, um, the company must then inform you if they are going to investigate um, or if they're not and why. And if there's an investigation, they have to keep you updated uh, every couple of weeks, that type of thing. So with the non-deplume that I created, I would send them an email every now and then because I didn't only whistleblow once. I was brokering meetings for the auditors in South Africa. So people would trust me and I would set these meetings up. So it went on for, for months and it went into August and over August. So that law then should apply to me as well. Yeah. And I was asking Korea what's going on. You know, can you give me an update? Just one liners. And there was zero response from them. So what the South African auditors did is they hauled me in to their offices and straight away just started going at me saying, you need to stop bugging Korea. They're getting annoyed. And now they're telling us we have to stop you and all this kind of thing. And I said, sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. All these emails that you're sending. And I said, sorry, I don't know what you're talking about because I've been asking them locally what was going on. And they weren't answering me. They weren't giving me feedback either, saying that I didn't qualify for the feedback because I whistle blew before that law changed. Oh, so wow. they then went, oh, okay. And then they thought they made a mistake and they said, well, okay, sorry, you know, we got you mistaken with somebody else. But then what they did, and this is, I think, what I really want to warn people about is that under pressure, South Africans under pressure from Korea sent the auditor around the South African office in Santon, in on William Nickel Drive, which is now Winnie Mandela Drive, and they were asking people who is this person and where do they work? And they were using the non-deplume that I had created. And the reason why I know that is because, you know, I was I suppose, in a sense, known to them because I was a friend to them. I'd whistleblown. I'd given them information. So they, the, one of the auditors stopped me in the office and said, listen, do you know where so-and-so works and who is this person? I don't know. I, must, I don't play poker, but I must have a very good poker face because I was absolutely floored that they were breaching every whistleblower policy in every company worldwide that you don't go looking for your whistleblowers. It is illegal to go and search for the whistleblower. And luckily I just I, luckily I just said to the guy, no, you know, that's a very odd name. Um, I've never heard of them, but, you know, try and ask that division, maybe they know. And I said, you know, but why? Why are you looking for this, this person? They said, and they said to me, well, South Korea's getting annoyed because this person's bugging them, so they've told us to come and find the person and tell them to stop. So that's... You know, you whistleblow for one reason, but that is what really, I think, you know, did it for me. That is what just blew my mind. And if, you know, if, if they did this to me in South Africa, it definitely tells you based on 
what I now know to be the history of where, you know, all, all policies come from the top and they, you know, you have to have leadership that enacts them, that, you know, ethical. But if the own leadership has been found guilty and has a criminal record, now you know that whistleblowing in Samsung is not safe. The secure hotline is not safe. And remember, you know, any... Any company that's paying for their own hotline and it's their own internal system is not going to investigate themselves properly and they will circumvent this if it suits them. So if it's profit over people, they will not follow the protection of whistleblowers and they will breach their own policies time and time again. We see it all over. I was going to say, I think there's a lot of companies that would, that are mandated to have these whistleblower hotlines or hotlines to like report issues but i mean like a lot of things like if you're self-regulating chances are you'll go to whatever benefits you opposed to what it benefits others right of course and uh i eventually had to you know i didn't know at the time but so many hr directors um and a lot of people in hr knew that i was a whistleblower i didn't know nobody reached out to help me nobody did anything said anything so I was trying to work the system and follow the process. And eventually I had to go to the president at the time, uh, Sun Yun. And I've mentioned his name often in public, it's in the public domain. And I had meetings with him and I've recorded those meetings. And I'm in tears in his office. And this is one piece of information an attorney gave me is I said to him, I have whistleblown. I've used your systems. Please, I'm begging you for protection. You have to do something, please, in two separate meetings. And his response at the end of all of that was to have HR investigate themselves because HR at that point, I also had evidence and, and you know, of them colluding with the director with, um, where they had, he was building a case against me. Now, that's also not the way that companies work. Where if there's a problem employee, you have to try and, you know, bring them in, have discussions, you know, performance, all this type of thing. And they've been trying to do that to me without HR involvement all along. So, you know, I think when I landed up in his office, and then that was his response. Then I knew it was I was done for because by then they put me on performance review because this is also the common, you know, this is the way it goes. The way they um, get rid of you, kind and of thing. Correct. And I had the I had no mental capacity to fight that, and this is also proven as well. You know, you you are so distraught, you have no capacity to do your job um, after months of all of this abuse. So. You, you do start failing, but you, you're failing because of that kind of pressure. And then also because the job description changes, they, where you were performing, they take those items away from you and give you things that you're not even qualified to do. Um, but, you know, when, when a business is colluding to get you out of their space, somebody as big as Samsung, they, they, will, they don't care. So, you know, the, the, the policies are all there, but the policies are, are avoid. If they, if they need to break them for whatever reason, they will. And um, my experience with Samsung is that they are not to be trusted. And I say to, you know, to everybody across the globe, don't use their SEC um, hotline because it is not secure. If the, if the agenda that they're trying to push 
is against um, what they're actually doing, then it's not. And this is, uh, so let me just give you a piece of information that I haven't mentioned anywhere else. Okay. If you look at, um, I think it was around 2017, the Note 7s exploded, you know, and they did a, a full recall across the globe. Now, at the same time, there were washing machines that also had problems with them on certain cycles, on certain spin cycles. And bits of them, parts of them were, were flying off and, uh, you know, injuring people. Um, one person's part of their house caught a light. Those machines were recalled in America. Now, America's got one of the highest volume of sellouts in the world. They weren't recalled anywhere else in the world. Now, we all know, I mean, Americans' safety, you know, the, the, the people and the institutions monitoring that type of thing, if they say something, the product's recalled. And you can go and check online. You can have a Google. The, these washing machines have been recalled in 20, it was 2016, 2017, 2017. And then again, in December, 2022. Now that was news to me because, you know, I'm not tracking every move they make, but they still have not recalled those across the globe. And one of the things that was pointed out by the Nestle whistleblower and the company's stance was the product is so scattered across the globe if there's any other cases you won't really notice it and no. that to me is diabolical yeah that's diabolical because what you do for one country you should be doing for all countries because we're also your customers we're paying customers we trust your brand we trust your product so if there's a problem you need to tell us and what they did was is they covered it up under the guise of if you had these machines tell us we'll come out and we'll give you a free service and in that service they were doing the software upgrade but they weren't telling anybody and the reason i know this is because at the time they asked me to draw up a campaign locally for Mauritius, um, and it was also happening in South Africa where these machines were, uh, were faulty. But what they were actually doing on the weekends with this director and another person who's now come forward and given me evidence is that they were, you know, drastically trying to keep it under wraps and get the technicians to as many machines as they could to fix it. Now that... That is not transparency to your customers. That is collusion. That is covering up faulty products. And, uh, you know, they, they've done it more than once. You would think, like, with the amount of effort you're taking to cover things up, it would be a lot easier just to say, hey, listen, we're going to send someone out to everybody's house. We're going to fix the software. Or at very worst, we got a USB pen that you can plug in the back of your washer. Boom, it'll update. Yeah. You're good to go, right? That would be, I think, the most, like, ethical way but going back, um, you know, to your HR uh, reply, a lot of people have posted videos here in Canada. I don't know about North America or even on the other side of the world that basically HR is not your friend. The HR is there to protect the company, which I always thought was kind of a funny thing. But I also wanted to go back a step there with you, June. And you were talking about mm. someone that was... Um, that was off for 12 years for trying to bring a union. And then you were also saying 25 years, the one, the one fellow was off for 25 years for being sick. Now you said the word cancer and I know that we want to say allegedly just to protect everybody. What yeah. is happening that is causing cancer? Is this a radiation thing with the cell phones? Like what do you know or what, you, what do you assume is uh, some of the, the causes of this stuff? Okay. 
So um, I'll just I'll do a small correction there. It's the other way around. So the union guy, he was around. He was doing his protest for 25 years. Okay, okay. And the and then the, the, the workers, it was a case they dragged on for 12 years. This was all workers. Um, wasn't to do with, uh, well, let, let me not uh, say this. Um, it was all to do with the workers in their factories. So it wasn't a consumer end issue. Okay. Um, but they didn't provide them. Yeah, they didn't provide them with the proper PPE um, protection uh, equipment yep. that you're supposed to have in the manufacturing of these products. So you know, once again, the employee's life is not as valuable. But as you know, because as you say, HR is not your friend. And I've always said, you know, the hierarchy triangle should be upside down, because without your workers, you have no product. So you're not allowing unions because, you know, you don't want to pay a decent wage and then you're not providing them with the basic equipment to keep them healthy. And if you read the articles, because that, that you know, all of this information I found out after I'd left there, somebody pointed it out to me, they sent me a link. And uh, so my information on that, I'm, I'm only reading on that after the fact now. Okay. Um, but from what I understand, yeah, they weren't providing um, the the protective equipment, and a lot of the and it affected with the woman it affected their pregnancies uh, a lot as well, and they lost the pregnancies. But it was one man whose daughter died um, because she got cancer from this, and he's the one that uh, you know went for the protest. And if I tell you. I went to Korea in 2013, and outside the offices, we, you know, you drive in on a big bus, and there was a single person standing outside that office, and he had a sign up in Korean. And I, I stared at him the whole time we drove past, and I thought, you know, I wonder what that sign says. And now I know. And that's why also, you know, if you look at my LinkedIn profile, you'll see I do protest posters, what I, you know, it's what I call protest posters, outside the offices here in South Africa, underneath their sign. Because if you want to sue me for defamation, go ahead, because then we have to go to court and the evidence will come out. Because people say, why haven't they done that yet? And again, I remind them, my evidence is in place. I have freedom of speech. And it's in the public's interest on a global scale. Very much so. And I, and I, and I can say that I appreciate it. Um, and I'm sure anybody listening definitely appreci uh, appreciates it. So going forward, you talk, You also brought up back in, uh, what was it, 2015? Uh, with the mm -hmm. S7s, with the batteries blowing up and not being allowed on airplanes and stuff, uh, stuff of that nature. Yeah. What was that like in the office when that was all blowing up, so to speak? So I'll tell you my personal experience of that. Um, I actually utilized the the way Samsung responded and I used that as a positive in my training because if you look at from when the first one happened to, you know, how quickly, and I say quickly because it was only a couple of weeks and then they said, we're going to recall everything. And I was actually quite proud of them because it was transparent. They were saying what you know, their the findings were, they were also trying to figure things out. Um, they they were allegedly doing, you know, uh, additional tests in uh, different climates to see if that was, you know, something that was uh, causing it. But I actually feel they responded quite quickly. And like I say, um, I was saying to, you know, the staff, because obviously here in South Africa, they hadn't fully arrived yet, but some people had acquired them overseas. So we hadn't rolled them out just yet, but we still did the full recall and 
a zero tolerance policy, every single unit had to be recalled. And uh, there were, you know, one or two units that uh, were taken out from the service division, which is part of the problem. But the, the atmosphere for me, because I was still new in that division, I was proud of the brand because they, I think they reacted quite quickly. And yeah. they had that safety mechanism in place and they did the right thing because a recall obviously is, is, is not an easy decision to make. The thing is, is that you can't, like I say, you can't uh, recall just because it's that public, you know, and you shouldn't only be recalling where you are selling the most product. Um, but uh, I was uh, I was quite impressed with the way they handled it. Yeah, I think I was I was also impressed. I remember when it when it came about, um, airports are really quick to respond because they didn't want that kind of issue happening yeah. on planes. But I think yeah. uh, they did a really good job. And the next year after for the next phones and all that. And it, what was the main cause? Was it uh, a lack of cobalt? Because I know that's a, a material that batteries need in order to regulate yeah. their their temperature and so and so on. So funny enough, we were in South Africa, even in the service division, we were never given a definitive answer. Okay. Um, we were, yeah. So we were never told anything, you know, because obviously we ask in the same questions, and also we have to defend the product. Um, but we were never given a definitive anything to to use um, to defend the product. That's fair. I I mean, I guess they got to do what they got to do, and I and I can understand that. Mm. So we're in 2023. Where is is your journey going right now? Where are you at this point of this battle with Samsung? Okay, so uh, I have a labor case against them and a human rights case against them because that's what we feel as well. Uh, Because you annihilate our ability to earn an income and that's a breach of human rights. We have very strong constitution here in South Africa. And that's why I've lodged that case against them. The thing is, though, you know, it's not only my cases against them. There's, you know, now banks and all of the rest of them have come after me. So there's numerous cases against me trying to get money out of me that I don't have. So um, I'm financially decimated, but I represent myself now in all the legal battles as best I can. Yeah. Um. I've delayed. I've delayed the the selling of my small flat that I have, and uh, the banks. And this is another thing because um, the banks illegally bullied me into a high court, into the wrong court, and somebody gave me advice, and I bullied them back, and they've rescinded both of those those cases, but then they've started again. So I'm currently on a what I call a sabbatical for this month and the next two three months or so. Um, so I'm taking a break from all the legal stuff. I've told Samsung's lawyers, you know, leave me alone. I'm doing my own thing. And one of the ways that I refuel myself is to ensure that I'm getting the message out there. So um, the sheriff of the court has, you know, taken all my, you know, the fridge, the washing machine, all that kind of stuff, the furniture. Um, uh, I'm just waiting for them to sell the property and come and take the car. But that's, like I always say, when a person's at their most dangerous because I have no fear. I have nothing left to lose. Yeah. So I'm going to use my freedom of speech and I'll just see where it goes. So, yeah, I uh, I played by ear, but it's been a fascinating journey. I don't recommend anybody do it the way I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, 
reach out to your local, um, although, you know, I must say, we, we, we engage with the Canadian uh, university. Um, they reached out to us in America for, to help with your Canadian whistleblowing laws because, and from their mouths, is that it's, it's not very strong there. So they're looking to us as well to guide them because we're really beefing ours up now. So we're forming relationships, you know, with, with Canada and linking with UK, US, South Africa, and there's a lot of fascinating and interesting changes coming for the judiciary. So it's very exciting times, you know, if you can, you know, not worry too much about where your next meal is coming from. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So I'm a little baffled. What could, What is the bank's connection with Samsung in order to come after you? And I'm kind of confused yeah. on that part there. Okay, so it's, it's, this is what... Your life, you know, when you when you whistleblow, it doesn't just stop there. You don't just lose your job, you know, once they worked you out the business. Yeah. So what happens then is, you know, your mental challenges start. You know, I've cashed in my pension, and my so my pension is depleted. But then what happens is, um, you if you're in the public domain and somebody Google's your name, you can't get a job because they go, oh, whistleblower, we don't want to touch that person. Yeah. And that's something we're trying to change here in South Africa. We're trying to encourage companies, especially because of state capture. One of the ways that you can say, look, we, 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 we stand behind our whistleblowers is to rehire whistleblowers. And that's something Charlie Middleton uh, advocates for a lot. That's not my idea, but it's part of what we're trying to do. So what happens now is you don't, you can't get a job and you fall behind on your payments. Okay. And that there's nothing. There's nothing in the, uh, you know, in the clauses, you know, if, if you become sick or unemployable, there's sort of insurance clauses there, but there's nothing, you know, that covers a whistleblower. So that's where they know this is what happens. And that's why they enjoy financially decimating you in every aspect of your life, because that in itself normally um, stops the, the lawsuits against them. But when I'm talking about that, it's, all because, you know, I haven't been able to pay my bills. Yeah, of so course. So where you had a, a, an incredible, and I had an amazing credit rating, I'm now, you know, I will never, I, I don't think I'll ever recover from this. And that's why we're saying to companies, you, you need to start looking at the punitive costs and damages of what you're doing to us. It's not only, you know, okay, you know, we can't work anymore. We can't, you know, we can't get jobs. Whistleblowers can't get jobs. We're really on the fringes of being outcast in society. You know, you've got support groups for, for cancer patients, there's, for rape victims, all that type of stuff. It's quite robust. But there's, there's next to nothing for whistleblowers. You know, we, we're such a, I call us, you know, we're a bit of a unicorn. People don't know what we are, what we've done, and they don't understand the the... Like I say, it's the financial decimation. Everything stems from that because a lot of them, unfortunately, people get divorced, um, separated because, you know, you've got kids, but this consumes your life. Um, so in a sense, I've had the freedom to do what I want to do because I'm single. I don't have a partner. I don't have children. Um, but on the flip side of that, it has a bigger, well, not a bigger, but the, the mental, det uh, you know, uh, detriment. Yeah, is also has its own challenges because you've got no, you know, immediate family support. So yeah. Now I wonder with with your background here in dealing with whistleblowing, I I'm wondering if anybody would reach out and start having you 
do almost like a seminar on like, you know, how you would do it differently in like the process, you know, even if it was just in South Africa, like just to kind of like get that civil rights thing yeah. going, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, we're, we're, we're ahead of you there, John, because we, we already have started that. So civil society nice. in South Africa is very, is very active. Um, but I think what people, and this is annoying, is that everybody wants to hear from the whistleblower, but as other, you know, you have speakers and guests, they never offer to pay us. <laughs> um, so I always encourage, and that's the other thing is that companies, don't always want you in their space because, you know, they're scared of what you're going to tell their staff. But there's 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 a myriad of topics we can discuss with 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 companies or people that do want to have the seminars. We were discussing that today, doing workshops, and a lot of it is um, you can incorporate, you know, the Jackie's book, the cycle of social effects of whistleblower retaliation into training literally anybody that's at a varsity level because any company you go into, whether you become a nurse or an engineer, they're going to have a whistleblowing policy. But the, the shock of what happens is not being, you know, um, trained and taught. And one of the judiciary changes I advocate for is that anybody who does have a whistleblowing policy trains their staff, but then you also have an independent person come in and say to the staff, okay, if something goes wrong in your particular industry, this is where you go to, because that's what Samsung also avoids, is they only tell you what to do if there's something wrong internally, but they don't tell you what to do if they are the problem. <laughs> they don't tell you where to go. Of course not. I guess a PR nightmare for them, right? So they're trying to protect themselves, yeah. I guess, in a sense, right? Correct. But, you know, it's in this day and age of social media, and like I was saying, you know, those cases, 25 years, 12 years, six, six and a half years, the, the time taken for them to admit their fault and their wrongdoing is becoming shorter. And, you know, I came out of a failed mediation attempt uh, with Samsung now in August, and it was an absolute joke. And it's, you know, they, they train, you know, good money after bad by trying to silence me. You know, what they should be doing is saying, you know, she's right, we were wrong, and we are going to do right by our whistleblower. Yeah. Simple as that. Now, weird question. I know you've already kind of answered it, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Let's say there's a, yeah. there's a mediation case later on with Samsung, is there a certain price where they can buy your silence or is your conviction of morality more than anything that they could ever spend on? So I like that question because I've asked myself that question throughout this whole episode. Yeah. And as people have said to me, you know, you got to take care of yourself. And I have gone through, you know, and a trigger alert for people, you know, I've had my own suicidal ideation. I've written out my letter. I was in absolute shock when this happened. And I got through all of that. So, but at what point are you going to say enough now? Because, and you know, there isn't a single person that hasn't told me that I should just stop now. Yeah. The thing is, is that I'm in such a unique position where I have the, the freedom to do what I think should be done, you know, and I have a number in my head. And I made it so high that, and it's dollar-based, it's not rand-based because our currency is very weak. Yeah. Because 
you know, they have one international whistleblowing policy that applies to all their countries, and they breach that. So in my view, if you want to talk punitive damages, yes, it is going to be dollars, but I made it a number that they are going to think is unreasonable so that they decline. And then, you know, I don't have to, you know, even answer that question because they're not going to offer it. The thing is, though, is that where I am now, there is a, sp- there is a number in my head, and I would sign that, but I also am against the non-disclosure agreements, yes. and they're going to want one of that. Of course. One of, one of those. So um, there, there's a discussion to be had here because they have opportunity to say, we messed up here, we're going to be doing X, Y, and Z changes, but then they actually have to follow up because if you look at, and this is what's been phenomenal, phenomenal across the world is people reach out to me, I reach out to them, notably the whistleblowers, and they respond, and we are connecting. So if I say to you, you know, it's, it's people in the Harvey Weinstein sphere, Nestle, EWA, the, the most recent one was Big Pharma. Roche Pharmaceuticals have just lost a case in court against a whistleblower, and that is going to be a game changer. So... You know, when you in, when I'm back into this position where there's just no money, there's nothing going on, but, you know, uh, I enjoy, you know, talking to people, helping other people, because, you know, even if one or two people say, you know, I heard you and it made a difference, that fuels me. So there's always a number because, you know, I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life. I'm also looking, uh, I'm, uh, I'm trying to teach uh, in the education space social, emotional, ethical learning. And, um, but yeah, but, uh, you know, while I'm around, I'm not going to keep quiet. So the number is not a number that, that, that they are, are liking. And it's, you know, even if within South African law, if I accepted it, it would help me in no area. It's so low, it's, it does nothing for me because six years of financial decimation it doesn't cover anything. It doesn't save the car, the flat, or any of my, my, my debtors. So um, they're, they're in the very wrong frame of mind. They're in, the, they, they're in denial about the fact that they haven't protected a whistleblower. And they still think they can get away with, you know, paying you peanuts. So there's a number, but, you know, they're not a realistic company. That's fair. So it's like for you... It's like, even if they were to reach that number, you don't want to do it because you don't want to sign the non-disclosure that's going to come with it. So either way, it's, yeah. it's not going to be anything in, in their interest anyways. No, but I'll tell you, John, um, uh, there, there is a way to settle this. And if there is a non-disclosure, um, it will be signed. But I still have the rest of my life to live and I've still got lots of things to do. So a lot of people, you know, um, are watching the space to see what happens. And they, they don't they, they, they don't begrudge me if I, you know, save myself right now and help myself to to restart financially. But that's that won't be the end of the journey. I'll tell you that much. That won't be the end of the journey. I certainly hope not. Where does uh no. where where do you see yourself in the future of this fight? Where do you where do you see it going down? Where do you what does your heart tell you? Well, you know, when when I when I don't talk about this I have physical pain in my body. Uh, I started getting migraines at Samsung. I never used to get them before. And um, 
if I don't engage with people about this, I, I'm physically in pain all down my the right side of my body. And when I do engage with people, I don't have this pain. It's, it's literally not there. It's seeping out of my body because I'm talking about it. Yeah. So I, I'm also, you know, you know, the network and uh, the other whistleblowers in South Africa and across the globe, we, we're working together now. So we're working on our judiciary changes. We have, you know, it's anti-corruption day on Saturday the 9th. So we have an event on Friday that I go to, and there's a lot of government officials there. So I always try and get my voice in that space. So I have another soundbar to use and let Samsung know that, you know, the world is watching. So I'm very keen to to work in that judiciary space um, because in South Africa, a lot of the focus is on state and not on corporates. So I want to ensure that the corporate, you know, whistleblowers have a voice and the changes also help us as well. And then also um, getting into um, lecturing around the book, educating people there. But then, as I mentioned earlier, really getting into the youth because, you know, there's one thing that still gives me hope when I, you know, when I um, attend uh, events at my, my nephew's school is that innocence of youth. And I believe uh, I've got a bottom, bottom up, top down approach. If we can't make the changes at, um, you know, the judicial, the government um, arenas and in the CEO space, then we need to try and raise more ethical children, so when they do land up in that space, they have enough muscle memory and um, resilience training and ethics training to resist, you know, falling into the corrupt space. Yeah, I think the, my focus will, will land up being there. That's a that's a really good focus, actually. It's uh, something to be very proud of, that's for sure, June. So before we close this bad boy off, let's, mm. uh, let's <laughs> tell people your message and what you expect from them and what you're hoping from them. Okay, so um, if, if I may, can I swing it a bit? Can I can I give your viewers a couple of tips because yeah, you know, absolutely. We can leave Samsung. Yeah, we we finished with Samsung now. The first thing I say to people is go and read your company policies. You know, there's often not many of them, but just go and read them, familiarize yourself with them, because when retaliation starts. A lot of the seniors in the companies don't know their own company policies. So they start doing things in complete breach of their own policy. And that's where you're going to get a lot of your evidence um, and, uh, in, and and your evidence and um, what's what I'm looking for? Um, not ammunition, but you're going to get a lot of, you, you can protect yourself a lot there if you know what the company policy is yeah. and when, you know, bully bosses start coming after you. I think a, a huge thing that helped me though, I was studying and I've you know, now got my post-grad certification in mindful-based intervention. So I was becoming very aware and acutely aware of what should be happening and what they were doing to me. But you're still going to be gaslit, that type of thing. So start keeping a record and a timeline, even if it's the silliest thing. I think there's apps out there nowadays. One of them, I don't know if it's Whisply. It wasn't around when I whistle blew. But you can, you can, every, any, whenever something happens that, you know, does, it's uncomfortable or um, you want to keep a record of it, you put it on the app so that further down the line, you don't then have to rewrite and recall everything. You've got an automatic timeline. Your timeline is going to be key because, 
you can very often very clearly show where they started retaliating and how pear-shaped it went. Use, uh, look around and use the, the, the apps that are available. Keep a timeline for yourself and make sure that, um, you know, wherever possible, you've got um, psychological support because the pressure that you're going to put on your family is going to be like nothing you've ever experienced, nor them. And the last thing I say to people is that if you want to test to see if, you, if you've if you got uh, what it takes to whistleblow, is stop paying your bills for a minimum of six months. Like we'll start off easy. We'll say six months to eight months. Keep that money aside so that you can actually pay them. But you're going to start getting the retaliation from, you know, the attorneys and the banks and all that type of thing. And also you have to reduce the amount of money that you use in a week down to, you know, I'd say in South African equivalent, you know, I'll speak in dollars here, maybe literally $10 a week. Don't put that pressure on your family. If you can survive those two things or you get a taste of what it's like, then you might think twice about whistleblowing. So while we need whistleblowers, there's very few spaces in the world that are equipped to handle what we go through. So, but I think, you know, a lot of it's protect yourself, you know, reach out. In South Africa, we have civil societies that have started up and are, are giving support, but it's still not holistic. But yeah, there's a myriad of things to do. And you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'll, I'll be launching my YouTube channel. Everything's under... I am June Bellamy. Um, and if you don't want to like because, you know, you're worried about being sued, then just do things like support or, you know, the shock emoji or uh, informative on LinkedIn. There's other ways to show, you know, the business that people are watching me and I'm talking about them. So those are little ways that you can support whistleblowers. Wow, that's amazing. That's a lot of information. I hope everybody that's listening know, has got it all. And if you don't, you're welcome to listen back or do what you got to do in order to get that. And once again, you can be reached on LinkedIn there, June, correct? Yeah, correct. On June Bellamy, you'll find me under my name there. And then on socials, with, with the socials which I'll be ramping up, um, everything is under I am June Bellamy. And if I may, um, Whistleblowers of America, they were very kind because when there was no support here, they have set up a, a GoFundMe page quite a while ago. It hasn't gone anywhere. It hasn't done much because, uh, you know, we, it's, it's, you know, you need, you need a, you need that social media thing, you know, where yep. you just go viral and we haven't got that yet. So there's a, there's a GoFundMe page and they're kind enough to, to, to have set that up for me. So yeah, but I'm around. I'll always be around. No kidding. I appreciate you, June. And I'm sure a lot of people listening do appreciate you. I'm sorry for the struggle you're going through. I don't think it'll be fruitless in the, in the sense of the morality that you want to make sure is kept and the order. And you know, you just want basic needs, human rights. You know what I mean? You just want the basics as it would seem. Exactly. And I mean, a big thanks to you, John, because, you know, a company like Samsung, you know, they spend a lot of marketing money. So a lot of people won't touch your story because of that. But it is only because of your kinds of podcasts and uh, interviews that the message is getting out there. And you also having a big change in this. I uh, don't think, and you reached out to me. Yep. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Thank you very, very much. Thank you very much, June. A wise person once told me nobody likes to tip, so that's why we 
Go deep. Go deep. Go deep. Go deep. This is Go Deep Productions. Thank you for listening to Go Deep, the podcast, a member of Go Deep Productions, where we give our opinions like we have a clue. You can find us on all forms of social media. If you would like to reach out to the show, email us at GoDeepThePodcast at gmail.com. And remember, always go deep.